Welcome, I'm an international adoptee and host of the Anna Ginger Show, who believes that we all experience adoption in our lives. We actively choose the people, values, and experiences that create who we are and who we are yet to be. And this is why I invite you to listen to the guests and creative content that guides us to knowing that we each have a home in this world. Cradled in the belief that we belong, that we are worthy, and that we are loved. So stay tuned and you may discover your own adoption story. So our guest today is Constance Ionetta. She is a foster care alumna, foster kinship adoptive parent, and national child welfare advocate. After aging out at 18 to many struggles, she found her healing and peer support and purpose in helping others. She is heart-driven in making improvements to the system that has impacted her family for many generations. In 2014, she founded Foster Strong to inspire kindness and healing, elevate community awareness, and ensure accessibility of resources for the foster care community. From legislative testimony to state national board affiliations, Constance has used her voice and lived expertise to speak on issues such as aging out supports, higher education, mental health, domestic violence, and self-care. So welcome, Constance. And also, what I loved is that when you go to her website, you'll find out that she's known as Connie the Connector, and we're going to find out why. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the introduction. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so for, I gave a lot of information about you, but what what do you think is most important for our listeners to know about you? Um, well, you touched on the fact that, um, you know, I'm third generation former foster youth, which is very relevant. I mean, my, history, my family um, in particular has a history of, you know, child welfare involvement. It's part of our legacy, or it was until, you know, we kind of buckled in and, you know, hunkered down and said, this is not how we want to move forward. And we're going to kind of dig into healing and growth. And it's all in, you know, <laughs> from uh, this point forward and everything. It's been like that. So, I mean, I'm very lucky to be where I landed. Uh, I entered care around 11 years old. And uh, me, the, the inner city uh, little spitfire that I was, was sent out to rural Pennsylvania for my first foster care placement and everything. And it was a huge culture shock, you know, like I was removed, like it removed most um, availability for my family to be able to come and visit me. You know, it wasn't like I was just around the corner, you know, there was issues with transportation and things like that. And also I was trying to navigate a completely new and different environment. So um, there were some adjustments to be made and everything. I briefly reunified. I went back into foster care. And at 18, I eventually aged out, which um, at that time, there weren't things in place such as uh, board extensions where people could stay in care um, until 21. And so at 18, you know, my things were in trash bags and I was on my own to navigate adulthood. So um, after you know, fumbling a bit and everything and struggling with a lot of um, things like housing and everything, I eventually got involved and with advocacy and connected to other peers of mine who were also struggling with the same things. You know, at that time, legislation was being worked on for uh, fostering connections. So it was a perfect time to share, you know, we were, we were having a really hard time, you know, like we were trying just to survive, you know, and we wanted to save our own circumstances and also help future generations. So that kind of just blazed the path ahead of me. And from there, I sat on countless committees and did speaking events and, 
you know, launched boards and groups and everything all um, with the same premise to, you know, elevate the voices of lived experience and change policy and practice. So, um, and eventually it led me to, um, you know, where I'm at today and um, becoming a foster parent and adoptive parent wasn't necessarily on my radar, but it happened. And, you know, I'm very grateful for every opportunity that's been presented. So when you think about yourself, Constant, at the age of 11, entering the system, and you think of that um, young lady, what were some of the experiences at 11 that shaped where you would think about what do I want to do or, or those experiences that shaped who you are at 11? I mean, <clears throat> I lived with people that were deeply religious. Um, they're family routines, their norms were so vastly different from what I was used to. And I kind of had a lot of stuff like forced on me, like attending certain services and, you know, family gatherings and just different things that would be allowed in my family, in my community were not allowed there. So that culture shock thing, you know, runs pretty deep, but also just not having like regular um, normalcy, like normal childhood experiences, you know, I mean, regular curfews or being able to stay at a friend's house. Like at that time, you had to go up so many levels of the chain of command to just get permission to stay overnight at a friend's house. And then after that, you had to have background checks done on all of them. There was no reasonable parenting at that time. So um, it was definitely very difficult. And as I got older, you know, it was not having the freedom to just have a job after school or, you know, have a regular prom curfew or, you know, date and things like that. Like it, it was really, really hard. It's a very controlled, restrictive environment. And that's why it was even more surprising that the expectation was after I was in this foster care bubble, you know, I would turn 18 and be wholly independent and completely on my own. So, and the things that you've done to be able to advocate for foster care children. So what, what do you think is a, is there a singular thing that motivates you to make changes in policies for those that are entering the foster care system now? Um, I mean, I would say <laughs> the thing that's propelled me the most is grit. You know, I mean, <laughs> I say that's something that's deeply embedded in my family. Like along with the trauma, we also have a long line of, you know, very feisty, somewhat bullheaded females in the family and everything. And we all have, you know, a little bit of grit and a whole lot of grace, you know, and I think that carries us well. It makes us, you know, born survivors and we're very effective when we dig into something, you know. I love that so much. And that is you. I've been able to get to know you over the last couple of years. And I think that grace and grit is certainly describes you and just a beautiful person inside and out. So I want to do something to move things around a little bit, because I believe that these creative interchanges can help us discover how we can be and become our best selves. And so I reserve a little time to connect to artistic expressions of our shared experiences. And this is why I'm in introducing Nick Kazernas, who is our music producer, but he has agreed to join us live today to talk a little bit about what song he has selected for you and your story. So Nick, Welcome to the Anna Ginger Show, and would you just describe a little bit about Fabulous You to our listeners? 
Hi, um, hi, Anna. Hi, everyone. Um, yep, my name is Nick Kazernis. I'm in, uh, a songwriter and guitar player in uh, Dayton, Ohio, and uh, have been playing music for many years in many different styles, uh, especially over the pandemic uh, when life changed a lot. Had a, a lot more time uh, with my kids growing up and uh, life changing to uh, focus on music. Um, and so I'm happy to be, uh, you know, I've shared a few songs on the show and uh, has been, uh, you know, really fun doing that. Yeah, I, I appreciate you, Nick, so much, because like I said, sometimes I think through songs, sometimes we can, um, it, it gives us a new understanding of our stories. And so I'm so pleased that you decided to come and be able a guest on the show that Constance Ionetta is here because she is such a special spirit. So what, what song did you pick for Constance? I picked a song called Little Glow from a record uh, I recorded over the pandemic called Quiet Signals. Uh, it was a very different uh, record. It was actually a collection of acoustic, a guitar, and cello uh, instrumentals. And uh, they were recorded, we said, without a net because we'd... Uh, we, we tuned the instruments into tunings we had never tried before. We used uh, guitars we'd never seen before that people had uh, uh, brought to us. We were in two different cities recording. We had new gear, and um, it was just an experiment, and it's really a time of finding a little space to make music together when we were all isolated. At, this, at the same time, the... Um, our families were going through a lot of changes too. So the ideas for the songs on this record and this song, Little Glow, came from, uh, a lot of them came spontaneously, but they were based on what our family was going through at the time. So for instance, you know, we had uh, we had a job loss, we had a graduate, uh, we had someone, you know, my son was in online school, my daughter was trying to start online college. Uh, you know, we were uh, dealing with working at home and uh, then my daughter left and moved to Chicago, <laughs> you know, out of the blue. So there were all these changes. And uh, a lot of what that's a lot of what was on my mind at the time is how we were going to get through these changes and the challenges together uh, and how that might redefine uh, and um, update what we thought of as family. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, let's give it a little bit of a listen and then have all of us talk about your song. So here is Little Glow. Thank you. 
So we just heard Little Glow. And Nick, do you want to talk a little bit about what we heard and then connect it to Constance and her story? Sure. Uh, so uh, that was Little Glow from a record called Quiet Signals. Uh, it's the first time I ever recorded uh, this acoustic music uh, with my friend Kate Wakefield, who was playing cello in another city. I was in Dayton. She was in Cincinnati. And I was learning all of these songs while I was working at home. And my wife, Kathy, had lost her job. My daughter had moved out and started college online and decided to up and move to Chicago. All of a sudden, uh, my son was, you know, like trying to deal with being in online school and, and all of us being isolated and really just trying to figure out what it meant, what being a family meant, as well as everything else that was going on in the world, how we as a family were dealing with that, you know, in our little affluent suburb, you know, while, while everything was in such turmoil and that started influencing these songs and, uh, um, I started writing, these became like meditations and sort of ways of, of just sort of seeing um, past some of the challenges and where we would be. And in this case, this one was really about all the changes in our family, but my kids are becoming young adults and we're, we're learning how to have these new relationships in the middle of all this change. And so I would record these songs and I would, this one, I would just send them to Kate and Kate would listen to it, have tea and come up with something completely without direction. And it, and it just created this really wonderful atmosphere. And while I was doing this, Kathy was out photographing a lot of environmental, uh, just started taking pictures again and taking a lot of beautiful pictures, you know, just out in nature where it was all quiet. And those photos became part of this album as well. Um, so it was really a family effort <laughs> so, and about family. And so, Constance, as you heard the song and heard what Nick has to say, how do you think that this is connected to your story? I think it was really beautiful. I mean, it definitely kind of made me feel very um, peaceful as I was listening to it. And um, it kind of brought back some memories for me. I actually, um, funny enough, I come from a very, very musical family, like my biological family. Like my grandfather played with some jazz greats, um, I think multiple members of my family actually play the cello. So um, even though I did not inherit that gift, because I apparently had like piano player hands and stuff that were never utilized for that. Um, yeah, I mean, I just loved it. I mean, I was always more, I leaned more towards like show choir and vocal lessons and all that other stuff. But I mean, I do have a deep appreciation for music. It was wonderful. Thank you. And Nick, um, so when you think about um, being part of the Anna Ginger Show and bringing music into storytelling, so for what, what has this experience been like for you? And again, listening to what Constance has done to be able to, I, I loved how you said, how do we get through the changes and challenges together? And I think that's what Constance does, is that she's trying to figure out what are the ways that we can navigate through all of these different changes in life, whether it's a pandemic or uh, policies that impact how children thrive, we're going to get through this together. Yes, and it's it really resonates with me. And I think I might have talked about this before, but it's it's funny how as a uh, when I really started writing songs, both lyrical and instrumental, and they the 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 ideas for the songs, whether they have words or not, kind of come from the same place. You know, uh, your your heart and your experiences. And uh, I always wanted to write love songs. I wanted to be good at writing love songs, and I wrote a whole record of this. And even that influenced when I was writing these at first. That was my idea if I was going to work on something. And I have had 
so much feedback from these songs and the other songs I've written with lyrics where people tell me that they're a, they relate to them and these experiences they've had with their families, with their children, with their, you know, perhaps maybe, you know, uh, someone passing away like a spouse uh, or parents and all of these things where I started realizing that it's like, oh, I'm not writing about... <laughs> I'm not writing love songs at all. I'm writing about like what it's been like to be, uh, have a family for the past, uh, well, 21 years now, you know, and I just didn't start doing that until my kids got into their late teens and, and that, that creative burst kind of came back. So working with you, Anna, and meeting you, Constance, and everyone on the show has been a really interesting experience because everywhere I go, people are sharing their stories of family with me. And it's wonderful to hear um, about Constance, about your experience and Anna, the other experience, yours and that you've shared, um, because it also then pushes me to think a little bit more about what, what I'm writing and, and look at things in different ways. So, Well, thank you, Nick, so much for sharing your song and your, ta- your songs and your talent with our show. You always come up with these brilliant connections. So I, I just appreciate that so much. Thank you for having me. So, Constance, you heard um, for Little Glow, and then when we were talking about how this song brought back memories for you, and so how did hearing the music, what did that connect you with? Well, art and music, like for me, that's always been like kind of a healing outlet for me. So, I mean, I tend to gravitate more towards singing and writing versus, you know, playing a musical instrument and everything. But even with my kids, like early on, one of my kids was slow to um, develop their speech. And so it was expressed to me and my husband that a good way to pull through that is actually to sing more and help, you know, him learn how to uh, enunciate words and everything. And so that became an evening ritual that still happens to this day now with three children. So um, we sing every night, um, putting the kids to bed and everything. And, you know, it definitely is just something that is a bonding thing with our family, you know, it connects us, you know, and it's definitely, uh, you know, something that I cherish a whole lot. So I, I appreciate how, you know, when Nick was describing it, he was speaking to how it represented his family and they're connecting and staying, you know, kind of cohesive in times of, you know, a little bit of chaos during that time, you know? Yeah. And that is, and chaos as I'm imagining, as we've discussed before, is part of somewhat the foster care system and the way that children are having to respond to being pulled away from their families and having, like you said, having to experience um, a, a person's different, a family's different set of values, religious beliefs, that's pretty challenging. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, those of us that are somewhat perceived as the most resilient or the ones who are the big success stories, it's always because we've learned how to adapt so easily. But, you know, I used to brag, you know, I thrive in the chaos, you know, and things are absolutely nuts. Like I'm cool as a cucumber. And I, that's like kind of my, my, my zone. But then, you know, as I got older, I realized like, that's a, that's a trauma response, you know, and that's a result of some things I've experienced and everything. And sometimes I have to take a step back and kind of ground myself a little bit because I don't necessarily want to be in the chaos all the time. Yeah, it's where that grit and grace come in too. Yeah. I think. And so you fo- you founded uh, Foster Strong. So let's talk a little bit about Foster Strong and why you decided to create this. What? But first, let's start. What is Foster Strong? 
Well, foster children, it was really funny because when I was in care the second time as like an older teen, um, I remember making some comment to my mom, like, oh, I'm just another foster kid in the family. And, you know, I was grumpy, mopey teen at the time and everything. And I'm upset about the circumstances. And my mom was like, you know, you're not just another kid, you know, not a foster kid, you know, foster strong and like we're strong and we have so much grit and everything else. And I, that stuck with me, you know, and years later, I think the first event I ever did for uh, foster care and like advocacy and things like that was actually a car wash to raise money for, I believe it was school supplies. And it was back in like 2004 or something like that. And, um, yeah, I mean, I had Foster Strong on a poster boards and everything like that. And um, people really, you know, gravitated towards it. And, you know, as I use it for years and years and years and did different events and keynotes and, you know, bake sales and um, national awareness walks and all these different things um, with Foster Strong attached, I was like, wow, like, you know, what started as something that was deeply personal for me and connected to our family's growth, you know, it became a call to action, you know, just a a way to inspire community awareness. And then it evolved into a full on nonprofit and like national resource hub that's inclusive and supportive of the whole foster care community. You know, I didn't, I wear so many hats and there was a lot of times when I've had to compartmentalize things like, you know, I had to take off my foster care alumni hat when I was, you know, speaking with workers about, you know, my children who were in the system, like when I was wearing my foster parent hat. And, you know, I really wanted to be in a space where I could wear all of my hats and be okay with that, you know, and, and speak to people kind of in the same position and everything. And so I realize a lot of people wear multiple hats, just like I do. And Foster Strong, we want that to be that space where it brings together everyone and the resources on our, you know, resource directory are from throughout the United States, a lot of them, small local programs, organizations, foundations that support everything from youth and care with things like independent living, or mother baby closets, um, or shelters, foster closets, um, even birth parent supports and things like that, and uh, supports for kinship caregivers or grandparents raising their um, their grandchildren, you know, like we wanted to be able to create a space that supported everyone, you know, professionals, advocates, supportive mentors and allies in this work. So, um, and, you know, just put something good out into the world. So it, it brings me a lot of joy to be able to do this. Yeah. Well, and I think about Nick's song and the title, Little Glow. You're a big glow. You, you're <laughs> this light that just shines brightly. And I appreciate and all those that um, are connected to you, Constance, it's just, uh, it's a gift. And I wanted you to just give a couple of statistics about, and you, I had put some of those out and you're like, well, actually, let me update some of those stats for you. And so for our listeners, can you give us some of the stats that you think are most compelling? Sure. Um, Let's see, in the United States foster care system, there are just under 400,000 young people in there. Um, Three in five foster children are reunified with their birth parents or kin, because reunification is always goal number one in the case plan. 
Um, 20,000 young people age out of foster care each year without permanency. So permanency could mean adoption. It could also mean guardianship. Um, and here's the very uh, exciting one. There's uh, about 13.5 million adults in the United States who have experienced foster care. So I remind people all the time, you know, there's people in every community, every demographic, everything that have experienced foster care. I mean, it's that six degrees of separation. I've absolutely noticed that the more I speak loud and proud about foster care and foster care awareness, the more people find me and seek me out. And they say, hey, you know, like my neighbor was a foster parent or, hey, like my parents were foster parents and I was the birth child. And how can I be more involved? Like we really have to kind of align ourselves to work together and everything to change how foster care is in this country. I mean, we want to better support these young people so they're not having the negative outcomes and all those stats that you tend to see, you know, all over the place, especially during awareness months and everything. I mean, I want to highlight the positive stats, you know, I want to see how many young people have experienced care and are CEOs of, you know, companies and stuff like that and founders and business leaders and um, have graduated college or have, you know, families and things like that are making their mark in the world in some way. You know, I want to I want to see the, the positivity because that is the stuff that these young people that are currently in care that are seeing. Like, that's what they need. They need that hope so that they can have better outcomes and so that they know you know, good things can happen after foster care for them. So I'm going to ask you as we come to the close of our time, what would you ask our listeners to do to create a world where everyone can feel that they belong, that they matter, and that they are loved? I would ask that everyone give themselves and others grace. Um, You know, I say it a lot now, but it took me a long time to put it into practice. So I would say that's the most important. You know, we're all human and stuff, but we're all capable of great things if we, you know, nurture ourselves and also nurture and give grace to others as well. I love that. Well, heartfelt thanks to you, Constance, Ionetta, and Nick. Thank you. Uh, for this incredible conversation and the creative exchange. So, Constance, thank you for all that you do to make a difference in this world. Thank you for having me. Of course. Of course. And thank you to Adam Rich with WUB for engineering and editing today's program. Our subject matter expert is Dr. Melissa Rizzo, and our storytelling producer and engineer is Zoe Lambert. Our creative and editing team includes Maddie, Maya, Alexa, Linnea, and Mark. And we heard from our music producer today in the most wonderful way, uh, Nick Kazernas, who's been writing these genre-twisting songs for over 30 years, including this show's theme song, Way to Me. And I am your host, Anna Ginja, signing off with a reminder that the key to unlocking all things good in this world is love. And here you are loved and you are home. Always a friend and fan, this is Anna Ginja wishing you days filled with love, laughter, and peace. Thank you.